Take your Bible to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 13, Hebrews chapter number 13. And uh, in 35 years here, I have never uh, addressed the subject. In 35 years, we've never had a descending vote on anything. And uh, we have gone for a meeting in my front yard. And the offering that night was $100. The first meeting we had, our offering was $100 given to us by a Marine who would probably never come back. There was 13, 14 folks there that night. And uh, we took an offering that night to buy some folding chairs so they could meet in. And uh, God has blessed this ministry from that to our insurance this year. We've insured right at $13 million worth of buildings. And never with one no vote on anything. I don't know any churches in America other than this one that can say that. This is my third church to mess up. Tonight, as I speak to you, I speak with right at 45 years experience in the pastorate alone. Forty some years, 42, three plus years of pastoring three different churches. The first church that I was called to is a church up in Fort Worth, just about 13 blocks south of the largest Baptist seminary in the world. And when I accepted the call to that church, they said to me, Dr. Norris told me, he said, Gene, uh, I wouldn't take that church because it'll be over-evangelized. It's that close to that Baptist seminary. Everybody over there is saved. We baptized 300 folks the first six months. And it grew from 47, I think it was, to over 600 in just a little while. And would you believe... Pastors got jealous because our church was growing so fast. Pastors are human too. Stayed there six years and left. Took a little church in Waco. Had between 50 and 100 folks there the first night. In about uh, six months, we were running 600. And folks were being saved. Offerings were growing. Started the soul winning ministry with 100 folks out soul winning on Thursday night. Would you believe that people in Waco got jealous? Pastors got jealous. Came to Fort Worth 
and spent a week, five preachers spent a week in Fort Worth trying to dig up trash on me so they could come to Waco and run me out of Waco because of my testimony. So I want you to know you are a member of a very unusual church where nobody is jealous of anybody. Nobody's envious of anybody. And it's because you through the years have recognized pastoral authority. We're big on civil authority, are we not? Some of you men are big on marital authority, are you not? Uh, We're big on authority until it affects us. So tonight... Let me talk to you for a little while on not governmental authority, but pastoral authority. Hebrews chapter 13, I'm going to read to you just a few verses. Now, I am not going to change the wording because it's 2021. And the Bible was written much earlier. It's easier to say, well, what did the Bible mean when it was written? Probably the same thing it means today. Watch this, if you would please, in Hebrews chapter number 13. I'd like to read for you just a few verses I'd like to read verse number 7 for your learning. If you'd look at it, please. The Bible says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Now I'd like for you to look at verse number 17. Same chapter. Obey them. Oh, by the way, Dad, that's the same Greek word used in Ephesians 6.1. Where it says, children, obey your parents. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For this is unprofitable for you. I'd like you to look at verse number 24, if you would please. Salute them 
that have the rule over you and all the saints, they of Italy salute you. I'd like you to take your Bible and hold your place in Hebrews. I'd like you to turn back to 1 Thessalonians in your Bible. 1 Thessalonians, if you would please. First Thessalonians chapter number 5. And what's this? And I know you're familiar with it. Verse number 11, wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now I'm going to take the word of God and I'm not going to change any words because I don't think we need to change any words. But I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but pastors by the multitudes are leaving the ministry. How long has it been since you've seen a young man walk down these aisles and answer the call of God on his life? Has God quit calling young men? Or has young men quit listening? Could it be that the ministry no longer has its glamour that it used to have? And because of that, churches are struggling and crawling around at a snail's pace. It seems that pastors are changing churches more often than politicians using excuses. Does it bother you that no one is surrendering to the ministry anymore? If this is it, when you're dead, the ministry will be dead. Have you ever considered that God may be calling you into the ministry? Well, preacher, I'm an old man. Not getting any younger. Well, I've got a family. I only had four kids when I surrendered. I've got responsibilities. I had a business with several men depending on me for a livelihood. Well, it's been a long time since I've been in school. We can fix that. Did you know that Hebrews kind of leads us to the understanding that maybe, maybe, 
If we do this right, we might be able to put a little joy in the preacher's life and ministry and work. Let's see what Hebrews says about pastoral responsibilities. Look at verse number 12 of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. And here is the word. The Bible says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, be at peace among yourselves. The first thing I think we need to learn is we need to learn to know the pastor. Know them. Preacher, what does that mean in the Greek? Know them. Know them. Maybe simply put, we could say, why don't you get to know your pastor? Why don't you get to know him before you start judging him? Uh, Why don't you get to know him before you decide whether you like him or not? Well... I never did like red-headed guys, especially whose forehead is receding. I just never did like them kind of guys. I don't like uh, his attitude. I don't like the kind of dog he's got. I don't like the kind of car he drives. Why don't you just do what the Bible says? And before you start judging, before you start saying I like or don't like... Why don't you get to know him? He might be a pretty good guy. You know, your pastor might be an all right dude. But now I know he's probably not as good as your old pastor. And probably, if you came here from another church, these two pastors could never be as smart as the one you left. Maybe older, maybe not as kind as the gentle giant that you left. You know what your responsibility is to your pastor tonight? Get to know him. Know what he loves. Know what he likes. Know the kind of soda waters he drinks. Dr. Pepper, sweet tea by the gallon. Me, uh, rubbing liniment. (laughs) Have you considered to get to know Brother Andrew and I? I've had people leave because I wore starch Levi's. I had a fellow the other day say, hey, you still wearing them 
starts Levi's and combing your hair straight back? You mean that's all there is to me? It starts Levi's and the way I comb my hair? That's how people judge a preacher. Well, he's too loud. Well, he's too long. He's just too. You know what the Bible says? I beseech you therefore, brethren, that you get to know your pastor. You don't have to agree with him. You don't have to agree with how he does things. Get to know him. Find out what moves his heart. Find out what kind of car he wants to drive. Be like Brother Jim. Buy me a truck. Then he drives it. Probably sitting in the parking lot tonight. Notice three things Paul urges here in 1 Thessalonians. Three things in the text he noticed. Notice what he says. And I think your notes have there. First, recognize your pastor. Recognize him. Recognize that he labors among you. Notice it did not say he loafs among you. If you think it's not a job building From nothing to where you are tonight, you must have fell out of your tree. Somebody had to write a check for all these multi-million dollar buildings that we own. Somebody negotiated for all the property that we bought and purchased. Somebody fought with trustees that didn't believe we ought to buy the land. Somebody had to argue with folks in our church who had been stung in bond issues that we were going to issue another bond issue up to the tune of $3 million. You think that's easy. You think it's easy dealing with contractors and architects. No work at all. All the preacher does is just preach three times a week. And then sometimes he has somebody come in because he's tired. You need to recognize that it's not easy building and battling. Do you think everybody agrees with my manner of administration? Well, if you'll show me church administration in the New Testament, I'll be glad to adapt it. By the way, while you're finding that, find me the pulpit committee too, would you please? Recognize that pastoring a church may not be the easiest thing to do on the block. And there might be more to it than just preaching three sermons a week you got out of the preacher's gold mine. 
The message you heard this morning was not out of some preaching magazine that came straight from God. A tremendous message. Amount of time spent in putting that message together. Recognize that your pastor has a job to do. It's not a vacation. Notice the second thing. Not only recognize your pastor. Recognize he labors among you. And notice this. That he is over you in the Lord. That does not mean outside the church. That he is your boss. That he tells your kids where to go, how to go, when to go. That's not what it's talking about at all. It's talking about in the church context. That the pastor is over the congregation. Only in ministry. Notice also he admonishes you. That means warn. That means encourage. That means like this morning, trying to get us raised above our fear and living by faith. Admonishing. You need to recognize when you come to church. Yep, the preacher may skin your hide one week. Ah, but he may put salt in it the next. His job is to admonish to warn, to encourage, to motivate. Recognize that fact when you come to church and don't say, well, he's picking on me. He probably ain't even thought of you all week long. Now that may make you feel bad, but I'll bet you he did not have on his mind one time you while he's preparing the message. I bet it was what God wanted. Notice, if you would, please, simply put three things the Lord would have us to do. Recognize your pastor. Verse 13 of that same text, and to esteem them very highly in love. Why would I do that? Why? For their work's sake. For their work's sake. Esteem in conversation, in attitude, in reference, in recognition. Don't walk up to me and say, Gene, what about this? Now, that don't hurt me. That hurts the work. teaching your kids the wrong kind of attitude toward the pastor. Esteem him. What's your Bible say? Very highly. For some reason, I don't know why, 30-some years ago, they started calling me preacher around here. I have no idea why. I, I've never said don't call me anything. Never. But they started calling me preacher several years ago. I don't know who did it first. I don't know who did it last. But that's what they all call me, preacher. 
I've never insinuated, I've never encouraged anybody to call me anything. But I think because of my respect for other pastors, our church have grown to respect me respecting other pastors. And we ought to reverence and we ought to esteem them highly for their work's sake. Verse 13, notice this, and be at peace with him. Verse 13, be at peace with him. Don't declare war on the preacher. Well, he said something in the sermon Sunday morning I didn't agree with. Well, I guess since you didn't agree with it, that's inspiration. Don't get huffy at the preacher. Well, he was talking to me. Well, why did you come? Why are you here if you don't want him to address your problems, your cares? Kind of stupid to come to the church and say, Preacher, don't preach to me. Best time you do stay in the parking lot you'd want me to preach to. Don't get locked jawed, huffy, because the preacher says something and says something about your pet cat. Dear Lord, don't fight with him. I have pastored two fighting churches. I mean, all they want to do is fight. I'm talking about fight. First church I pastored, they hired a lady to whip the preacher's wife after the Sunday morning service in the front yard of the church right before I took the church. And Mrs. Tolls walked out of the, out of the building and this lady that they had hired to whip her grabbed her by the hair and began to throw her all over the front yard. Now that's the kind of church I learned to pastor in. The treasurer told me immediately, well, I want you to know, preacher, I'm not happy, but I've got something to gripe about. Well, I kept that sucker happy for two years. Then I fired him. And the second church wasn't any better than that because of jealousy and all this kind of stuff. And I determined when I started Joshua Baptist Church, I have not got time to fight backslidden Baptists. And we haven't had to fight them. Whatever you do and whatever I should do, we should endeavor with all of our heart to live at peace with our pastor. Not backbite him. Not falsely accuse him. Not second guess him. But 
learn to know him. Secondly, I'd like you to turn your Bible to another scripture, Hebrews chapter number, chapter 13, verse 7. And that verse merely says, remember him. Now, preacher, what does that mean in the Greek? It means remember him. Remember that he is only human. He's not walking around with terrestrial wings folded underneath his Jack Panier jacket. He's just like you. He puts his pants on one leg at a time. He is just like you, only called of God. He makes mistakes. He might even make mistakes behind this pulpit. I have, for 35 years, I've made mistakes up here. But our folks overlooked it because they loved me. And they respected me. And they have esteemed me highly for the work's sake. Notice, remember he is only human. He's just a man called of God. I wonder why they expect more out of the preacher than they do out of a Christian. Why should preachers... Be more judged than you who are saved and sealed by the Holy Spirit and going to the same place. Why should you expect more out of your preacher than God expects out of you? Remember... He's only human. Good men around here for all these many years have protected me. I don't know if you know that or not. To save me from whooping a guy on a golf course, Brother Butzlinger decided he'd do it. I said, sick him. <laughs> I'll watch. To save me from jerking some smart mouth young person across the fence down at the old building Billy Davenport ran up and grabbed me by the shoulder and said preacher don't do that 35 years I've had men like you protecting me because I'm human too what's wrong with continuing that throughout the years and remembering that your pastor are human too. Also remember, if you would please, his position. Now I noticed some terms here. 
in verse 7, which have the rule over you. Verse 7, verse 17, obey them that have the rule over you. Verse 24, have the rule over you. 1 Thessalonians 5, that are over you in the Lord. I don't know if you know this or not, but leadership in the local church is ordained in the scriptures. The scripture said four times, somebody... At the church has got to be in charge. It's not deacons. It's not trustees. It's the God called man. That is called pastor. Which is a spin off of the word shepherd. And just as the shepherd is in charge of the sheep. By the way what does God call you? Sheep. Just as the shepherd guides the sheep, protects the sheep, makes sure the sheep is fed, makes sure the sheep are safe, makes sure the sheep are doctored, shepherd and pastor comes from the same term. And by the way, there is a chief shepherd that the under-shepherd takes orders from. His name is Jesus. And the shepherd is to admonish. I shall never forget doing a series of sermons on Psalms 23. And I'm so shallow, it, it takes me a long time. Flying across the United States, I was concentrating on Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, and that's all I want. That's what a little girl said one time. And I was trying to outline the thing, and I came down to surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I said, Lord, give me a vision of that flock of sheep and that little shepherd boy. Lord, how in the world does that one little shepherd keep all those sheep in the traces? And then I got down to the last and said, surely... Now watch this, goodness and mercy shall follow me. I said, I see it now, Lord. There's a little sheepdog on the back side, on the right-hand side, called goodness. Another little sheepdog behind the flock on the other side called mercy. And every time one of those little sheep gets out and does its own thing, yep, yep. Here comes mercy and gets him back in the sheep and the fold. Surely, 
goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And when you should have had justice, God extends mercy. And when you don't deserve anything God offers, the goodness of God barks at our heels and gets us back into the flock. Uh, Are you listening to me now? Are you listening to me? I'm glad God deals with us in mercy and goodness. But I'm glad he loves us enough to give us a shepherd who will guide us into the green pastures. Who knows where the still waters are and leads us beside the still waters. <laughs> well, I just thought that didn't cost you any extra. That, that was free. Remember his position? Leadership is ordained in the scriptures. And I'm glad to say to you tonight that we believe that the scripture is the final authority in faith and in practice. I don't care what the book Baptist Way says. I'm not interested in how they've done it everywhere else. Are you listening to me? Because there's no administrative rules and regulations in the Bible that tells me or Brother Andrew how to administer to this church. One of my churches, I pastored the first one, they said, well, we're going to elect a treasurer. I said, that's good. Make sure he's a crook. Because the first one was. He said, what about the money? What about it? Aren't you glad you don't have to worry about it? Well, I'll put you in charge of paying insurance this year. Just laid down $100,000 for insurance this year. Utility bill, close to 5000 a month. You want to grab some of that and take off with it? You see, you need to remember the position. You need to remember also his needs. His needs. First Timothy five seventeen says this says Let the elders that rule well be worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the Word and doctrine. A pastor has needs, many needs, that most folk don't have any idea. Now let me give you a verse that I've lived by for 55 years. Let me, let me give you this. I believe it to the depths of my soul. And for 55 years, I've punched no man's time clock. I've taken, I've taken no man's salary. When God called me to preach, I gave up tool and die making. 
And the Bible said, they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And that's 1 Corinthians 9, 14. And I believe that with all my heart. If we want to preach the gospel, we should live with the gospel. I don't need any extracurricular income. I don't need any other businesses. I'm not involved in any pyramid scheme. I didn't get in it to make money. I got in it to honor God. And if God can't take care of me, then I'll get out of the ministry and I'll get a job. And it's your responsibility as men to take care of your pastor. To meet his needs. Brother Jim Zorn has been a godsend to me over these many, many years. Many men don't have any idea of the needs of the pastor. You have no idea what I make per week. You have no idea how many raises I've had in 35 years. You have no idea what I make per week. But you ought to be concerned about it. The pastor represents Christ and the church. You'll consider his clothes, his car, his home, and his family. Because they that preach the gospel should live with the gospel. You got that? You ought to know him. You ought to remember him. And this is a tough one. Verse 17. What's that first word? Obey them. If he preaches on Sunday morning, you ought to be back on Sunday night. Guess what you ought to do? You ought to be back Sunday night. If you preach, you ought to be back on Wednesday night. Guess what you ought to do? Now, I did read that one day I am going to give an account to God for you. You say, now where did you get that? Oh, I just thought I thought it up one day. And then I looked down at verse 7 and that's where it was. Whose faith follow, consider the end of their conversation. And then in verse number 17, it says, For they shall give an account for you. A lot of folks that I've pastored over the many years 
I just should not stand at the judgment feet of Christ when they arrive. I probably have to say, you know, Lord, I've never seen them but once. <laughs> they joined in that the lifetime I saw. This will be unprofitable to you. So the Bible says we're to remember them, we are to know them, we are to obey and submit to them. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, and this is this is just a fact, okay? Organizations function according to leadership. Organizations rise and fall according to leadership. Families function according to leadership. Church functions according to leadership. I would like to remind you that following your pastor is not a question of trusting a man. It's a question of obeying God. Now, you, you need to understand that. Little churches are little for a reason. Big churches are big for a reason. Medium-sized churches are medium-sized for a reason. It's called leadership. Good kids are good kids for a reason. Bad kids are bad kids for a reason. Good homes are good homes for a reason. Bad homes are bad homes for a reason. And it's all about leadership. Leadership. Okay? I did not say that great pastors have great visions. They probably don't. Good pastors know how to follow the Lord as he opens to them opportunities. They either walk through the door, take advantage of the opportunity, or they set back faithlessness and not willing to take a chance. Because of my business experience before I got in the ministry, before 
I got in the ministry, I had to buy expensive equipment. I had to do sales here and in Mexico, all over America. I had no idea that God was preparing me for the day when my wife would call me when I was out preaching a revival meeting and say, Honey, I just found six acres for sale behind the storefront we just rented to have services in. And I said, you're kidding. I'd like to tell you that I went down to the Spanish church and walked around the border of it praying, dear God, give us this six acres that most of it's under the flood plain so that we can build a church one of these days if we ever get the money. God opened the door. We borrowed $220,000 at the bank. And we built the building. And now it's paid for. Somebody put a for sale sign on the property down on the corner. The man owed several thousand dollars in back taxes. I wish I'd tell you I'd walked around the corner of the building, of the property down there, and prayed, Dear God, give us the money. But I didn't. I went to see the guy who owed the taxes and told him we'd pay the taxes plus a little bit of pocket money. If he'd sell it to us. So we own the corner lot down there. How'd you buy it? I went to the bank. Got the money. Then I raised enough money on Sunday morning to pay it off. And now it's paid for. Man, our church said, Preacher, how would you like to have a building down there? I said, Love it. He said, I'll tell you what, I own one of them buildings. I think I'll just give it to the church so you can build something on it. So we wrapped it up with a gym building. We just built a great big old metal building around that building that D gave us. Now it's paid for. The only thing your pastor's done is just when opportunities open, we've taken advantage of it. Just following God as he does this. You see, I'm glad I didn't have a bunch of guys running around and said, no, we can't do that, we can't do that, we're not going to do that, we can't do that. I didn't have that. What I've had is a bunch of officers and good men 
who was willing to know my heart and remember that I was just human too and willing to obey when God says, let's buy, let's do, let's purchase, let's build. Brother Jim and I made a big trip to Rye Vista one time. We was going to buy $80,000 worth of mobile homes. Isn't that right, Jim? Something like that. We needed Sunday school space. We found two buildings and come back. And I don't know, I guess I sent Jim or somebody down to the city of Burleson. And Burleson, sure, you can put those buildings out there, but you've got to brick them. That means you've got to brick bowl all four times. Made me and Jim mad. Said, we'll show them. So we just went $3 million in debt and built those wings right out through yonder. We showed the devil he wasn't going to get us down. You said, $3 million in debt? No, 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 no. We're not $3 million in debt. We own, oh, several million dollars worth of property. We owe about a million and a half. A million and a half. A million and a half. Yeah, about fifteen million dollars worth of property. A million and a half. Yeah, and we got enough money in the bank to pay that off. You know, it's kind of hard. I don't say this. To demean or anything. It's kind of hard when a man is having difficulty with a $2,000 budget at home to understand a $25,000 budget a week. That's a reason God said. Remember him? Know him? Trust him? Pray for him, love him? Obey him? And lastly, verse 24 of Hebrews 13, salute him. Did you ever salute anybody in the Marine Corps? You did. Were they bigger than you? Is the reason you saluted them? Was it the position? That's respect. Saluting. Respecting. Knowing. Remembering. Obeying. That's what the scripture says. I close with this this thought. What is the most important job in Joshua, Texas? Is it the first responders? Is it the police, the firemen? 
Or is it the pastor? Who's trying to save boys and girls, men and women, from a devil's hell. And every time he gets behind this holy desk, he admonishes them to not be strapped down with fear, but walk by faith. And husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And wives, reverence your husbands. Now, which is the most important job that necessitates knowing, remembering, obeying, and respecting. I say to you, it's the pastor of Joshua Baptist Church. You say, well, Andrew's young. I am so jealous of that, I can't understand it. Know him. He's a good man. Me and Jim and Brian and others has raised him. John, we've raised him. He's a good one. Know him. Take care of him. Love him, respect him. He'll deserve it. 